King Jesus, we thank you that we can be together. It feels like a privilege to be in the same place uh, with lots of other people. So we thank you. King Jesus, we open our hearts and our ears and our lives to you. We are open to what you might have to say to us. Continue to lead us as our king, as one over all things. We look forward and to you in hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We are continuing our series on discipleship in the new normal, and as we have lived life disrupted, we've needed to react and change with the unexpected changes happening around us. And for some of us, this has been a difficult season. It has amplified our anxiety, our grief, the complexity of small and large decisions, and it's increased our sense of isolation and distance from loved ones and family. But family, we're in this together, and if you are stuck or struggling... We want to help you. Our pastoral team, our church family want to support you and walk with you, so please do let us know how you are going. As well as being complex and challenging, this inconvenient interruption has given us an opportunity to reflect and respond with a renewed way of life. With the universal impact of COVID-19 comes a rare chance to reset and reimagine some aspects of our lives, including our discipleship. And in every circumstance and every area of life, we want to ask what King Jesus might be inviting us to live out as his kingdom people. And this includes how we live with money something that Jesus had a lot to say about as he taught us to imagine a new kingdom. Jesus' imagination for kingdom people is confronting when we recognize that it is an area of life where followers of Jesus are often indistinguishable from the world around us. Now, one of the questions we've been asking as a church and as a pastoral team over the last few months is what has been exposed and what has been revealed And we can ask this of our economic values too. Because this season has unsettled the economic status quo of the global economy and of our home economies. We've seen some of the meta effects of the pandemic as whole sectors struggle under the sudden loss of the shopping traffic that they're used to. Unhealthy debt dependency in our economy is being exposed and businesses are failing as consumers change spending habits. Closer to home, selfish panic buying has exposed our need to avoid inconvenience and shows us that as a culture, we very quickly defaulted to self-preservation when our lifestyle and livelihoods were threatened. The economic fallout of this pandemic includes increasingly difficult global supply chains, a dramatically shifting job market and a rising cost of living. And while all of us have been affected in some way, some of us have even been directly affected by job losses, reduced hours. This is part of our new economic normal. There's lots we could unpack and decipher and figure out in the economic shift that's happening around us. But one report suggests that the casino industry alone lost $14.2 million every day it was shut down during the pandemic. Now that's one way to interpret the economic fallout. Another way is to celebrate that we saved $14.2 million from a destructive industry. Not all the changes were all bad. But how quickly will our society return to binge spending, addictive spending, 
as we continue the self-centered, consumeristic lifestyles we had before. Lifestyles that encouraged addictive shopping, unnecessary upgrades, unsustainable manufacturing, convenient disposability, economic slavery, obscene and unbalanced wealth hoarding, and the pursuit of personal pleasure. We were living lives dominated by distraction as we drowned in a never-ending stream of purchases and point systems. The economic value system and structure that we were living in was so pervasive that we may not even have realized how formational it had become for us. Our values, our priorities, our decisions all formed and mostly controlled by the powerful marketing investments of corporates, selling freedom, convenience, distraction, satisfaction, pleasure, security building an increasing cultural tolerance for selfishness, addiction, and greed. Things we barely noticed in others, let alone in ourselves. Our culture, us included, is drowning in economic idolatry. On our knees, enslaved, trapped in debt cycles and meaningless jobs, just trying to get by, to survive stuck in poverty with limited options, told to work harder and try to pull yourselves up, up over the nearly impossible gap of privilege and startup investment that most of us get. Or maybe we're on the never-ending pursuit of enough, an insatiable appetite for more. We've done the right things with uni and a job, now we're assuming that life will be okay when we get that house in the green leafy suburb and those holidays and cars and all that goes with it, the Australian dream. We've done it ourselves, haven't we? But now the kitchen needs a reno and I need a shed. So we're doubling the mortgage as we upsize and move on. Will it ever be enough? But I'm not rich, I say, as I drive my own car to buy something I don't need. Have you seen those Instagram rich kids and their piles of cash and those mansions and yachts and jets and supercars? Look at those greedy corporates who don't pay any tax. That's greed. That's evil, I say as I buy the product they sell to replace the one I bought last year. I think we can see something of the economic idolatry that we live in. Can't we? That we are enslaved to. We could dig deeper into all sorts of specifics to unpack the economic and cultural impact of COVID in, in far more detail and with more examples of the shaky foundations that have been exposed in our consumer culture. But I want to get to the heart of our discipleship as followers of King Jesus. In Romans 12, 1 to 2, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, my sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, Paul says, as 
as the writer of the message version of the Bible says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity and idolatry, I'd add, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I think if we're honest, we would find, we would be hard-pressed to find parts of our use of money which have not become really well-adjusted to our culture. I don't think that's unfair. We are largely enslaved. Some of us enslaved to habits and addictions and expectations and a way of living. And we need King Jesus to set us free. Some of us enslaved to debt, unable to find our way out. We are stuck paying off past choices and poor habits. But sometimes debt is not your choice. And so some of us are stuck paying off unexpected life circumstances and now we live with the long-term slavery to interest rates and repayments. And it can feel hopeless. And if that is you, we want you to hear today that there is hope. And you are not alone. We are in this together. Please ask for help. Some of us are economically enslaved, not because of debt, but because of the controlling behavior of a spouse or family member. One of the weapons of domestic and family violence is economic control, and it is never okay. And if you are a victim of the abusive and controlling behavior of that kind or any kind, we want to walk with you and help you. And if you are the one doing the controlling, we say to you, it is not okay. We want to help you own up and change and recognize the damage you are causing in your family. For anyone in any of these circumstances, the words of Jesus can be so helpful for us. As he begins his ministry, Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, tells us Jesus read these words about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Life in Jesus leads to freedom from enslavement. There is a day of hope when all enslavement will be undone, when unjust systems of oppressions and economic slavery will be turned over, when all will find their hope and value and worth in something other than more stuff, more money, and more security. In the meantime, we live with that hope. We allow the Spirit of God to transform us. We own up to our complicity in the economic systems of our age. We practice new ways of being and living. We listen to the voice of Jesus 
as he imagines what life can be like for us. Life with Jesus leads to transformation. It leads to freedom from the economic slavery we find ourselves living with. As our minds, our hearts, our values, our priorities are transformed, we find ourselves shifting from greed and comparison to contentment and generosity. So what are some of the things that Jesus says? In Matthew 6, that Adrian eventually read to us, we read some of the words (laughs) that Jesus spoke on the Sermon of the Mount. And we find a challenge there to the greedy and selfish hoarding of treasure. Verses 19 to 21, let me read them again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, show me the money and I'll show you what you most value. Show me what your treasures are, and I'll show you what truly matters to you. What do your possessions, budgets, and purchases reveal about you? What do they reveal about us as a collective? If we're honest, I think we'd admit that our spending looks a lot like the world around us. Very few differences. I think our spending would suggest that we are investing in the Australian dream far more than we are investing in the kingdom of God. If you were to consider every dollar you've spent as an investment, what would be your investment in the kingdom of God? Would it tell the same story as who you say you are. And don't be fooled into thinking that because you are good at saving, that you are better at this. Because saving is often motivated by selfish desires to build wealth for the future or to build security to protect ourselves from the world and can be just as much a form of economic idolatry as frivolous spending. Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter here when he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Richmond, where is your heart? Who do we say we are? We say we follow King Jesus. But Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Does the world really believe that we have chosen one and forsaken the other? Or do they read our lives and our spending habits and assume that we are hedging our bets as we try and serve two masters? If our trust 
and security is not found in God alone, we are vulnerable to wealth's deceits. If our investments and spending are not in line with who Jesus calls us to be, then are we really who we say we are? These are hard questions. Jesus goes on. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's a way to read this that says we should not plan or consider, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, as if we should live YOLO lives and not care. And for people living day to day, subsistence survival, just making ends meet, this would be an incredibly encouraging verse, wouldn't it? To hear that the God of all creation has your back, that he'll provide everything you need, that he is the one who made it all, that he is the great provider, that he generously gave it all, that in the end, he will make sure you get everything you need. So do not worry. What a message of hope for people living that kind of life. But that's not most of us. Most of us have more than we need to survive. So how do we hear this part of what Jesus is saying? I think for most of us, our perceived needs are comparative. Our needs are based on what we see around us and we see what others have, and we're comparing. In this passage, Jesus says, look, compare yourselves to the flowers. Look how much I will look after you more than them. He's saying, in other words, I think to us, your needs are being measured with the wrong comparison. Instead of looking to what the world says you need, look to what I say you need. So do not worry, he says. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. The world around us runs after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. So much of our hunger for more, our desire for different, our shopping mall existence is built on comparing ourselves to those around us. We are enslaved to comparison. And much of our anxiety, much of our fear, much of what motivates tomorrow's purchases is comparison. As followers of Jesus, we want to be transformed, to be set free from comparison. Your identity is not what you wear. Your worth is not connected to your net worth. Your purpose is not connected to your salary. Your value in the eyes of your loving Father in heaven is all about his generous view of you. His unconditional loving of you. And so we are free to live with the opposite of comparison. Contentment. I think we've lost the art of contentment.
It's a practice that we can establish, something that we can work on. Here's what followers of Jesus say to us as they figure this out. This is from 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But we have, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is from Philippians 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret art of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And this, from the writer to the Hebrews, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The lost art of contentment. A wrestle against comparison. Finding ourselves, like Paul, able to say, I've learned to be content when I have little, and I've learned to be content when I have much. That sounds like someone who is free from comparison. How can you practice contentment Instead of comparison, how can we live free from the love of money? This is all not just about us. There's one more passage I want us to look at. From 1 John 3, 16, 17, and 18 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our sisters and brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees a sister or brother in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The gospel of Jesus is the generous act of God as Father, Son, and Spirit freely giving what they could keep for themselves. All the way through the story of God, God's imagination for his people has included a practice of generosity, especially towards the poor. There's loads of passages we could go to to encourage us to consider those who have far less than we do, especially towards our neighbor again, a call to be generous towards the other, and even towards our neighbor who is our enemy. At the very heart of who we are as Jesus' people is an imagination of people who give generously, give of themselves, who are generous, who are marked by generosity. Generosity is a posture, and we can practice it. We can practice it in the big decisions of life and in the small. I think sometimes with our big decisions, we take the time to consider what does this look like? How do we use our money well in this space? How do we be generous with this really significant decision we've got to make? And then forget to act in the small and everyday decisions. And yet it's there that we practice and build a posture of generosity. 
How do we practice it in the use of our tax returns, in the writing of our wills, in the budgets we create, in the use of our money every day? In times of plenty and in times when we have less. One of the ways we can measure where our treasure is, how we're going with the art of contentment, and the practice of generosity, is in our use of money. How freely can we give it away? You can flip that question around and say, how tightly am I holding on to it? How much hesitation is there between seeing a need or an opportunity, a chance to invest in the kingdom of God? How much hesitation is there between seeing it and responding, acting? What filters and values are we running through? I have to finish with this question. What does it look like for us to live freely giving what we could keep for ourselves? We want to be marked as generous people because the good news of Jesus is the good news of a generous God. Freely giving to us. There are heaps more passages we could have jumped into today. Lots more that Jesus says about money. It is not a topic he is silent on. And we want to keep wrestling with what it looks like to be disciples of Jesus using money well in the new normal. And to do that well, I'm going to invite uh, Mark McCornu to come and uh, get to know him a bit and share with us some of the wisdom here. So please help me welcome him up today. Oh, all sorted. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm well. Good. Good to have you with us today, mate. Come and stand in front of the camera, mate. We want to make sure everyone on Zoom can see you. Saying I'm well matters now, doesn't it? It does, yeah. (laughs) I'm actually not sick. I'm well. Yeah. This way a bit more. There we go. Sorry. I'm Hey, Zoom. (laughs) Hey, Mark, do you want to hear? That's right. Um, Can you tell us a bit about yourself, mate? Just let let everyone know who you are and, yeah. Yeah, so I'm Mark. I'm married to Renee. Um, I'm also dad of the noisiest one-year-old in the room. Um, (laughs) You heard her singing away there during your uh, great... Um, teaching today. Um, we're talking at Gospel Group uh, during the week how we're simultaneously a lot of things at once. So um, I'm a son, a brother, a husband, a friend and a dad. Um, and perhaps what defines all of that is I'm passionately a Jesus follower. Um, notwithstanding I grew up in the church, I, I, there's definitely seasons where I wasn't a Jesus follower. But um, I certainly am now and I actually like to call myself that more than a Christian because I think the, the cultural term of Christian sometimes gets lost. Um, I, I love to say that I follow Jesus and that, yeah, that's who right. I am. Well, you know, so do I, so yeah, that's Indeed. great. <laughs> um, Mark, why were you a bit reluctant to even say yes to my invitation to be up here today, mate? Well, the other thing I am is I'm a small business owner. I, I work in, um, I'm an accountant. See how I even said that? That's the reason I was reluctant. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I'm new to this church and I don't want to be known as the finance guy, uh, okay? Um, so I, I was reluctant to profess to have any expertise in this space really, but I do work uh, as 
an accountant, but most of my clients are small businesses and I, I have strong relationships with them. And um, yeah, that, that's... The fact that we started with the first question, who you are, put me at ease. Yeah. Um, and I think it was Sophie said a few weeks ago, um, defining us by who we are, not what we do, is what God's about. And um, so yeah, I'm, I'm now relaxed about being here. Yeah, good. We, we're a bit yeah. suspicious that you have some wisdom to give us on the topic of money, but I wanna, we'll come back to that. What else are you passionate about, mate, to help with you not being known as the finance guy? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I played cricket for 20 years because I, I, I just love it. And um, cricket's a game, particularly when you're not a very good batsman, you sit on the side a lot and talk to your mates. Um, so I, I've got a lot of mates who I played a lot of sport with over the years um, who have come to know me as a Jesus follower, reluctantly, uh, from my point of view. But I've, I've got a red-hot passion for those blokes and seeing them come to know right. Jesus. And um, I was really touched when Jay spoke a few weeks ago ha how he lost his mum. Um, and I lost my mum exactly the same time, you know, it, it, it about um, just around Christmas time. I think your mum was about six months ago or something. Um, three. three, yeah. Um, and I, at my mum's funeral, to my great surprise, 11 blokes from the cricket club turned up and they got there slightly late. And this was in Christmas uh, just before Christmas, so there were no restrictions. There were 200 people there, but as people do, they fill up from the back, so the only place they could sit was <laughs> down the front. So these 11 blokes walk in from the cricket club and basically are sitting there, and I got up and gave the eulogy about my mum, and um, I'm not a very humorous guy, but I just God gave me a moment, I said, um, there's been a remarkable week and there's nothing more remarkable than seeing 11 of my mates sitting in the Holdfast Baptist Church yeah. and that my mum had done something in her death that I could never do in my life. <laughs> um, um, and um, from that, though, in, in the, the way I was able to just talk about mum's faith and the impact on me um, led to a lot of conversations and one guy in particular I've been catching up with since who's been asking me questions about... Wow. And I think for him, the starting point for me was I was proclaiming that Jesus defeated death mm. rather than he was a sinner. Mm. And um, I've learned over the years to pick up the pulse of what's happening in people. And I think sometimes when you come from a no-faith point of view, starting there, I see the image of God in you and that um, Jesus defeated death is a conversation that people want to have. That's great, mate. It's so good to hear that part of your passions. Um, as you kind of look at what's going on all around us, and you're doing that in your relationship with um, small businesses and companies that you work alongside. What are you seeing, mate? What's kind of being exposed, revealed in, from, through your eyes during this season? Yeah, I loved hearing you talk. I thought you picked up on so many things that are really topical and relevant. Um, people's business plans have been torn up this year. People are asking big questions. Um, I know for our, even our little business, um, we were absolutely hammered in when this hit because we were getting all these conversations with our small business clients trying to keep them afloat and, and in one week we're talking about how many people they need to sack mm. and then the next moment the job keeper rules came in and we had to try and get our head around that and advising people quickly uh, and recognizing that we're dealing with people's lives and likelihoods so <laughs> and, and all the um the domino effect that went with that, mm. so people dealing with putting a freeze on mortgages and how they um, uh, pay the bills and, and who they employ and how those rules work. And 
I remember about two weeks into it saying to my business partner that we, we can't treat this as a disruption anymore. This is our work and we need to embrace it and we need to motivate our team um, to be at their best for the people around us. Um, and there's yeah, been so much heartache, but on the other side of it, I see um, new hope and I see people, cycles being broken and I see people working differently. Mm. It's changed the way I work. I get to drop Lockie to school every day now because we've just got a new rhythm of me not putting a suit on and rushing off to work. I go to work dressed like this and uh, it's a bit of an <coughs> introvert's dream in a way. Um, <laughs> but we, it's changed those rhythms and it's changed them for the better. Um, but there's a big spectrum of things out there. Mm. That are a real struggle. Yeah, thanks, mate. That's helpful to hear. Um, in, in this, on this topic of discipleship and the new normal, um, specifically around money today, that's where we are sitting today, um, what, what would you love us to hear, mate? One thing I've loved about coming here is the use of language. I, I really like the use of the word rhythm. I, I use it a lot myself now. Um, by the way, for us as a family, you know, what a year to pick to change churches. Um, <laughs> so we really started the year. We had a couple of months just getting to know people and then this hit. And, and obviously Zoom um, is fantastic and the church has done a brilliant job. Breakout rooms are really important to us. And then our gospel group, um, that we got invited to that meets via Zoom and still does, um, we would not have been able to do that if, if, it was, um, if COVID hadn't hit. We just would not have been a part of a gospel group. With, with three kids under six, there's no way we could have done it. Um, so to be able to jump online on a Thursday night at 7.30, one, you know, mostly it's 8 o'clock once the kids are asleep, but we get to participate and, and that's fantastic. So the use of language is really important and um, I think scripturally um, just over the years there's sort of five rhythms principles that have emerged for me financially that you picked up on those really well Write today. These but, down, guys. Um, I think they can be applied to our personal finances, they can be applied to a business setting and they most certainly can be applied to us as a church and in the because in the, I think they're, they're out of scripture. How we use them and what's important is, is changes everything. Um, so the first principle, I think, is to have some kind of plan. Um, and I've seen business plans torn up this year. Th those plans have, have evaporated and a new plan's required. Sometimes the best plan you can have is to be really attentive to what God's doing um, and to make sure you live within your means and know what season you're in. Um, I think that's a good place to start and, and I think we can encourage people to do that. The second principle is to manage debt well. Um, and I love what you're talking about this morning around that um, because it's not a standalone topic. Hearing Melinda and others speak about the habits and the things that we in. Bad habits can lead us to debt. Um, secrecy and the internet can lead us to debt and other forms of addiction on the way we spend our money. So I, I, I think the way we manage debt, the Bible doesn't say don't have debt, but it does say manage it carefully. So having the right forms of debt by knowing what season you're in and paying it down when you can. Um, so that, that's really important. But I also love the redemptive language you used this morning. God can redeem you from being in debt um, and um, there is a way forward on that. Um, the third principle 
is to save and invest. Um, and I think, again, um, it matters a lot whether we're from the kingdom or not when we look at that. Um, if we look at ancient Egypt um, and Joseph's dream and instruction as, as governor, there were seven years of saving. Um, and the national accounts were big surpluses. And then there were seven years of investment, big deficits. The seasons required that and it kept the people alive because of wisdom. So um, saving and investing is really crucial. And I think this church does that really well. Uh, in a couple of weeks ago, when we saw um, Josh included in the, in the team and added to the team, I love what you said this morning. I, I, I don't see that as extra expenditure for the church. I see it as an investment, an investment into a talented young man, an investment into the community, an investment into the kingdom. Um, so I think that's really crucial. And if that caused us as a church to have a deficit, I'd be saying that's a great thing if our balance sheet lets us do that. Um, that's a decision that we make because of the season. So that save and invest is really important. And it, it is important in our own households to know what seasons we're in. Um, if we're not good savers and good investors, then we can't bless people to the extent we want to. So I think that that's really important. The fourth principle um, I use, or fourth rhythm, is um, to keep good company. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but um, to take good advice, to, to make sure that we don't get caught into that secularism of always wanting to win and being compa comparing like you spoke of. I think that's absolutely um, crucial. So to keep good company, to, to be... Um, in a church family where we can support each other and sometimes we do just need to bring these things to the surface and say I am struggling with debt or whatever um, get that advice don't don't um, don't cast pearls to swine as the good uh, word says but pick the right people that you can share things with and get some good advice is really crucial and the fifth one um, is to be a cheerful giver to be generous. Um, these are not chronological, by the way. Sometimes we actually need to start with living within our means and being a cheerful giver um, because otherwise you don't ever get to the fifth one if it's chronological. <laughs> if I have to wait till I've saved and invest before I can be a cheerful giver, we know that that's a trap. Um, so it's an attitude that changes everything, uh, generosity. Um, and we've loved coming to this church because it's a generous church. The, the way you care for us, the way you um, provide hospitality through quality coffee, they're, they're little things, but they do tell us a lot about the community that we've landed in and we feel really blessed by that. So thank you for your generosity to us. Mark, I reckon we could listen to you giving us some advice for a lot longer. Uh, I hope you took notes. Um, thank you so much. Let's thank Mark. Uh, for sharing with us today. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. On the note of cheerful giving, we're going to pass around a bag now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, we'll commit ourselves again to King Jesus and then we can share in coffee and, and spend some time together. King Jesus, you inspire us. We, we love hearing what you have to say about what the picture you paint of what life can be like and whether or not we're struggling and in need and life is hard or whether or not life is full of joy and hopefulness. 
You, you help us. You speak words that speak wisdom and life to us. And so I pray that today each one of us has heard something that, that we needed to hear from you today, God. Something encouraging, something that lifts our hope, our hopes and our spirits, or something challenging even. Something in us that we know we need to confess and get right or sort out or practice. King Jesus, we want to be a church that are loudly proclaiming that we're followers of the one and only King Jesus. And we want our lives to live up to who we say we are, including in our use of money. Please help us, Jesus. Please help us to do it with family. We pray that we will grow in generosity and love to one another. And we pray that we will grow in generosity and love to our neighbours, to the world around us, and especially to those in need. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. We pray this and everything that we've sung and spoken today in the name of King Jesus. Amen.